Well, before we get started with the message tonight, uh, is it okay if we have a little bit of fun tonight, church? Is it okay if we do that? Anybody have any objection to it? Well, if you know, uh, if you have an objection, I'm still going to do it anyway. (laughs) And so we're going to have a little bit of fun tonight because sometimes teenagers and teenage girls get a little cocky. And they get a little smart for themselves. They think they're more spiritual, like Miss Rebecca. They think she is, then she isn't. Uh, my wife, for example, you know, and, and older ladies like Sandra, you know. And so they get a little cocky, and from time to time, you have to put them in their place. And then Miss Danette, as well, in, in junior church, you know, she's asking these hard Bible questions. Bing! And she knows the answer. Well, tonight, I just want to prove a thesis of mine that I have that boys are better than girls and men are smarter than women when it comes to the Word of God. Now, I'm blessed because I have Brother Bruce Martin on my team. Amen? One of the smartest men. We miss you, brother, when you're gone. We truly do. <laughs> are you smarter than your... No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, that's a good question. But tonight, we're going to play a game. And this game we've all played, if you've grown up in church, if you went to vacation Bible school, if you've done anything in junior church or Sunday school, we're going to play a game called a Bible drill. A Bible drill. If you do not know what a Bible drill is, you're going to take your Bible and you're going to put it above your head. Who has your Bible for me? To show an example. Great job, Miss Donna. She was bad in Sunday school and you could tell because she put her Bible down. Amen? That's right. No, you put your Bible. Oh, amen. Brother Bruce has it. You put your Bible in the air. I'm going to say a Bible reference and then I'm going to say charge. When I say charge, you have to find the reference and stand up and start. Do what? Yeah, no phones are allowed. Thank you, Brother Bruce. This has to be the old paperback papyrus Bible, amen? No, so it has to be a Bible, can't be a phone. Hold it up in the air. I'm going to say the verse, and when I say the verse, I'm going to say charge. You have to stand up and start reading. As soon as that person starts reading, you have to stop, and that person has to be sure they're reading the right text of Scripture out of the right version of the Bible. Amen? So with that being said, I said that for the ladies. So I need a Marine to help us keep the rules right. Okay? So brother, will you be my Hawkeye for me? And will you be the one that watches out for the first person to stand up? All right? If it's a, if it's a tie between a lady or a man, it goes to the man. Okay? To, hey, the Lord makes the rules, not me. Okay? I'm just telling you. God... God made man first. That, that's we are. We're da- thank you for the wisdom. See, that's that's the elder in the church teaching the younger. Amen. So we appreciate that. All right. So Kim, you got the rules for me. So you How help many me. Fingers easy holding up first. <laughs> Let me do that Oklahoma math again. All right. All right. Here we go. Ready? And the winner will get a prize chosen from their team. All right. So here we go. All right. Bibles in the air. All right, your Bible has to be closed. You can hold it any way above your head. Uh, this is a practice. Practice run. Bible, this practice. Practice run. All right, here we go. Ready? John three sixteen. Wait, I didn't say charge, ladies. Put your Bibles back up. John three sixteen. Charge. Cannot. You got to, you read it. You got to read it. Open the Bible. Got to read it. That is right. Woo. All right. So got it. Yeah, you cannot quote the scripture. You cannot quote the scripture, all right? He got that from his wife who told him to do it, all right? No domestic disputes here. All right, here we go. Ready? Bible's in the air. Bible's in the air. Here we go. Zero, zero. First Timothy 1.12. Don't, uh, Bible's up. First Timothy 1.12. Charge. 
1 Timothy 1.12, charging. Stop. Got one in the back. Go ahead, loud and proud, sister. <laughs> Amen. One point for the ladies. Mr. Net Welburn, get her big hand, all right? Here we go. Second verse. Here we go. Second verse. Bible's in the air. Here we go. All right? Here we go. Can you go more than once? You can go more than once, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're a lady. Here we go. Ready? You can go more than once. Matthew 6.33. Uh-uh. Matthew 6.33. Charge. Matthew 6.33. Charge. They have to start reading. Stop. Right here. Nathaniel, go. <laughs> Woo! Tied one to one. Here we go, all right? Number three. Number three. Bible's in the air. Bible's in the air. Here we go. Ready? Psalms. You got to read both verses. Psalms 34, verse number three and five. Wait, wait, wait. Listen to what I said. Psalms chapter number 34 Verses number three and five. On your mark, get set, charge. Ooh. Woo! Good job, Lexi, following the rules. Ladies, too. Guys, here we go. Two more. We need this one right here, guys. We need this one. Bible's in the air. Come on, men. Knock your wives over if you have to. Here we go. Ready? Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Miss Sarah is so sad she didn't bring her Bible. All right? She is crying on her husband. Romans 8.28. Charge. Here we go. Flipping and turning. Amen. Ladies have three. The guys have one. This is for the super grand prize. The super grand prize. We need one teenage boy and one teenage young lady to come up to the front for the grand championship. I'm going to have Brother Daniel pick the guy and Miss Michelle pick the girl. You have five seconds. Okay. Harrison, come stand right here for me. All right, come on, Piper. No, no, Piper. Oh, oh, who, who wants it? Who wants to eat this cereal? All right. Okay, come on up here on the platform for me. All right, uh, please tell everybody in the audience your name. Myra. Myra, please tell everybody your name. Harrison. All right, Myra, Harrison, do you understand the rules of this game? I'm going to say a Bible verse. You do not have to hold the Bible above your head. You will open your Bible. First one to read will win the prize inside of my pocket and be the championship for the men or the women. Do you understand? Do you understand? All right. Dearly beloved, we're gathered together in the sight of God and man. Amen. Here we go. Jeremiah 33.3. Jeremiah. That is in the Bible. Don't look at me like she, she's all. If, 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 if looks could talk, she's all like whatever. And he's like going, Jeremiah, what in the world is Jeremiah? Here we go. Jeremiah 33.3. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm preaching hard at you today, girl. You're in trouble tonight. Woo! Jeremiah 33.3. On your mark, get set, go. Jeremiah 30. You got to read it. Jeremiah 33.3. It is in the New Testament. <laughs> it's in the Apocrypha. 
Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great mighty things which thou dost Ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. Give them both a great big hand. This is yours, Brother Harrison. Congratulations. All right. Well, I do, I do stand corrected. I do stand corrected. Uh, girls seem to know their Bibles better than the men. And Myra let him win because she had it and then just let him have it and didn't say nothing. So thank you for that, Myra. That's really a meek, humble spirit. Amen. But <laughs> she was going to stab him like that. Amen. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for letting us have fun with that. It's so much fun knowing the word of God, learning the word of God and being part of that. But then also like our story, remembering, remembering those times that were fun in in Sunday school. Sunday school really changes people's lives. I think it's one of the most, most important aspects of church is that you've got to have a strong Sunday school. And man, those memories from Sunday school ground you for a strong future. And so uh, we're doing good. We're doing good with what we saw here today. So thank you for your participation. At this time, I'm going to have my two volunteers uh, help me by passing out uh, these to everybody. Everybody gets one, all right? So the volunteers are passing these out. They're going to go with my sermon uh, tonight. So uh, if everybody would grab a, grab a mirror, it's an object lesson for my, for my sermon. I would ask the women not to look at this too much because it's like when y'all walk by the cars before you come into church, y'all are doing your hair. And then also you teenage boys, y'all don't know this, but when y'all walk in front of these Sunday school windows right here, we can see out. So when you're looking to pick a good one up there, guys, you can't, y'all need to just stop that. Amen. We can see out those windows. All right. If you have your Bibles, take your Bibles for me and turn to the book of Philemon, the letter of Philemon tonight, the letter of Philemon. It's going to be a hard book to find. It probably takes up one page in your Bible and it's probably half of a page. And once you do get it, somebody raise your hand when you found Philemon. What page is Philemon on in your Bible? 400? Wow, that's a very... 1400, that's a small print Bible. Who else has found it? What page number, brother? 1601. Oh, a little bit larger print. Anybody got a, one that's past 1601 for your page number? What's yours, Miss Michelle? Right, thank you, right before Hebrews. Yours is bigger than his. Y'all might need to trade Bibles later. Oh, gotcha. Wow. I can't even, I won't even try to speak Spanish with that. Amen. Hey, even though I did have menudo for the first time, menudo, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. It was, it changes your life. I feel called to Mexico now. Amen. You don't like it. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) it'll grow on her. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Guys, as they're passing out these mirrors, um, I'm going to preach to you tonight my heart. I, I consider it an honor any time I get to preach at any church or any time I get to preach the Word of God. And I don't know if when I preach this will be the last message that I will ever preach in my life. And so tonight is one of those cases, and I'm truly going to give my heart tonight. I'm going to give my heart tonight to those of you who are in the auditorium listening to me. And I'm going to give my heart to those that may be listening online tonight. This is going to be a very emotional message for me because I truly mean every word that I say. And it's hard because I truly don't have an outline that's prepared and structured. This is truly just a message from the heart is what we're going to see Paul write here to Philemon about Onesimus. 
And so I want to give you my heart tonight. But before I give you my heart tonight, I think one of the most important things happened this morning with a young man by the name of Victor. Brother Victor made Jesus Christ part of his story. He's heard that story before through Brother Daniel. And he thought he understood that story. Well, he penned it this morning. He was already saved. He just needed a public profession of faith. He understood what it took and what it is and what it means to be saved. And he made that decision. And so something awesome happened. And that's salvation. And that's the purpose of my life. That is the purpose of your life. That is the purpose of our church. And what is that? To ensure that the gospel is given to everyone. Whether we support it here locally in our city, whether we support it through our state, whether we fund those who spread it across our nation and, yea, across the world, we do that with missions. And this word missions is not just something that happens overseas or something that is not in our geographical territory, but something that happens with our next door neighbors, with our coworkers, with the stranger at the gas station. It's truly that testimony of what happened to us, our story of our testimony of salvation. I was saved on February the 14th, 1989. How many of y'all remember when 1989 was around? Amen. I was saved because a preacher preached a message on hell and I was tired of pretending I was saved. I would go to bed at night and I would think the rapture would happen and my brother wouldn't be in bed with me because we had to sleep in the same bed growing up. I would think the rapture happened and I'd run into my mom's room and she wouldn't be there. My heart would just drop because I thought I had missed the rapture and I was going to stay on this earth forever and go through that tribulation and go to hell. The preacher would preach on hell. I would get up out of my seat. I'd go into the bathroom. My mom, realizing what I was doing, said, you are not allowed to get up, boy. You're going to sit through this invitation, and you're going to sit here and listen this invitation. And I thank God for a mama who did that. So I learned to do something. In Baptist churches, they play three stanzas at the invitation time. Just as I am, I have decided to follow Jesus. They sing the three stanzas, and invitation is over. And I remember I would sit there and count it. Number one, number two, and number three. And then I knew I could get out of there sweating bullets, my heart, my stomach aching and hurting. And then what would happen is preachers would come in and have revivals. And boy, them evangelists like Brother Wayne Hudson are stubborn. They say, play another verse. You're like, no. And then you learn to grip. Amen. You learn to grip. You learn to hold. And, And I just couldn't hold on anymore. And on February the 14th at school, I went to public school. We would have uh, Valentine's Day exchange time where we would exchange our Valentine's Day cards, get snacks and hit the recess. Nothing spiritual about it. And during that exchange, this girl comes over to me and she handed me this Valentine's Day card. And on the Valentine's Day card, it said, can I have your heart? And when I read that, And from the preaching that was going on and from the Sunday school teachers to the bus captain who picked me up and to everybody who was involved in my life, all these memories came rushing to my head about a Lord and Savior who's asking, can I have your heart? And I took that Valentine's Day card and I I couldn't wait for school to be over. I, I rode the bus to school because we were so far away. And I remember I had to get home. I had to talk to my mom and I didn't ride the bus home that day. I grabbed my trumpet and I took off running and I ran home and I ran to the door 
I was crying. I was sweating. And my mom said, what happened? She was worried. What's wrong with you? And I said, Mom, I need to be saved. Our furniture was that flowery furniture. It was yellow and orange and had the wood over the sides. If you know what I'm talking about, had the wood handles. Well, you could knock your head like a turnbuckle and wrestling on those things. Solid wood. And I remember my mom sitting down in the chair and she said this. She said, baby, I don't know what to tell you other than what happened to me. And I said, mom, you don't have to tell me anything because you know why? I was going to Sunday school. And I knew that the wages of sin was death. She didn't have to tell me nothing because I would bring friends to church and I was the best boy. I would win bicycles on the bus and I knew about this salvation that was free to all men if you would just accept Jesus. And I remember my mom holding that Bible there and I I got on my knees and I said, Lord, come into my heart and be my Savior. And from that moment on, that anxiety was over. That fear of being alone, that scaredness of darkness, that scaredness of going to hell was over for me. I knew that my eternity was secured forever and that nobody could take that away from me. I couldn't give it away and that no matter what would happen, when I die, I would be with this Lord and Savior Jesus, a man who I never met, don't know the color of his skin, don't know the color of his eyes, but yet he loved me enough to die for me according to that book. And I got saved. My testimony is powerful. So tonight, Nathaniel, will you help me? What's your testimony? Is there anybody in here tonight that'd be willing to share your testimony with us? It doesn't have to be grandioso. It doesn't have to be spectacular. But is there anybody willing to tell us tonight, how did you get saved? I had an autistic brother that probably helped that along. He was, we know it now as Asperger's. He was a genius, but he was an idiot. No common sense. No empathy. No remorse. Uh, When my mother went to work when I was in the first grade, I was left home on Saturday with a crazy brother. He beat me every week. I hated him. That brother helped me know what hate was. The Sunday before Easter, 1953, preacher said, I'm just going to tell the story of the cross this morning. And next Sunday, I'll tell you the story of the resurrection. He told the story of the cross like you did this morning. He told about the beatings. He told about the the scourge, the whipping, the blood, the abuse, the hatred. And I began to tremble. I'd never paid any attention to that before. It gripped my heart. I couldn't wait for the chance to get to the altar. When I, when I prayed, sunshine came into my head and went to my heart. Didn't know years later that The Bible describes light coming into us when we're saved. Got up, went straight to that big brother, quite a bit older. Tried to hug him with him pushing away. But I've loved him ever since. Amen. Thank you, Brother Bronson. Somebody else, tell me your testimony. 
how'd you get saved or where'd you get saved? Anybody want to share? Right here in the front. Thank you. Um, I was born in Pennsylvania and I was, went to, with my grandmother, always went to church. And then my father, he got uh, taken down to, uh, where was that? <laughs> down south. And my mother and father, my sister and I, we were there. And my sister and I would go to the church there. And when we did, I got saved. Amen. I truly knew who Jesus was and how he loved me. And my sister, she was younger, so she wasn't quite as knowledgeable about it. And my mother didn't learn about that either. But my father, he, he, he did learn about the Lord. And after so many years, my sister and my mother also got saved. Amen. And I know who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Is there someone else who'd like to share their testimony? Maybe a young person. One more. All right. Nathaniel, thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you found, Onis, uh, found Philemon in your Bible, take your little pen holder, your little church bulletin or whatever, and hold your spot there and turn over to the book of John, chapter number 3 and verse number 16 for me. The title of my message tonight is, is I Value You. I Value You. The Bible says this in John chapter number 3 and verse number 16. The question is, is how much does God value you? And the answer is found right here in the book of John, chapter number 3 and verse number 16. The Bible said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Such an easy verse, such a simple verse, but with such a profound meaning and understanding that God value, valued you so much that he gave your son to you and I. I passed out one of the most uncomfortable things any human or any person can experience, and that is a mirror. If you would, take your mirror for it and hold it up for me. Amen. How many of y'all have daughters? And, and raise daughters. Well, they spend a lot of time in front of a mirror. How many of y'all raise sons? All right, raise sons. Them boys spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. Amen. Uh, a lot of people spend time in front of a mirror. But everybody look in this mirror and, and, and smile at yourself. Look at the mirror and smile at yourself. That, look at the mirror and smile at yourself. Ladies, come on. Come on, get, get that mirror. It feels awkward, doesn't it? Look at the mirror and I want you to say this to yourself. Say, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. You can set the mirror down. If truth be told, over 80% of our crowd did not believe the words they just told themselves. I have the unfortunate memories, part of my life, 
of being able to work at a substance abuse intake center here in Fort Worth. As an intake specialist and nurse, over 70% of the people who came in were Christians. I sat across from parents who were crying because their daughters had taken razor blades and cut their arms. And the young person just stares blankly into space, hooked on painkillers and opioids and they don't have an answer, hooked on drugs and they're seeking some type of substance abuse counseling and help and they're sitting across and they say their life has no value as, as mom and dad goes away. We then take them into our custody and to our care and they sit there as, a, as a, just a blank stare as that I have no value in this world. Some of their value has been stolen because they were abused or subjected to some pretty evil things that turned them away. And all I can give these folks as an answer is that Jesus can help you. I said as pastors would come in and drop off their wives who were hooked on pain medication or alcohol or on drugs because of the stress of their life or what was going on and they had nowhere to turn or nowhere to hide and there's a stigma of needing some type of help because of some type of mental breakdown or some substance abuse. I, I've counseled deacons and men in churches who had addictions and they sit here with no answer and they stand in front of a mirror and they wish that they would die and they have suicidal ideologies, they have suicidal tendencies, they've even tried to commit suicide and yet even in our church tonight there are people who have thought those same thoughts. There are people who struggle with that same struggle and they look in this mirror and they say, I have no value in my life. There are hurting people in this world. We drive by them. We shake hands with them in the churches. We, we work with them. There are people who are hurting in this world and they're looking for an answer. They're looking for someone just to tell them that you love them. They're looking just for an embrace and they're looking for someone who will just listen and care. And the world of Christianity has changed so much that we have become reclusive and rejective that we don't take the time or have the time to pay attention to these people with these needs. We've become so self-absorbed. As many look into the mirror to perfect some outside image of what they see on the internet or what's betrayed through advertising, they're missing the theme. It's not what's on the outside image, but what is on the heart. We value clothes more than we value people. We value cars more than we value service. We, we value things that will go away. You know what happens to you when you die? You know those things that you saved up for? Those little knickknacks that nobody was able to touch and you kept people's hands off of it or the vehicle that you saved up for or maybe the house that you owned or the clothes that you kept so tidy and nice and sent to the cleaners. You know what happens to that stuff? Your children come in, they give it to Goodwill, they give it to their friends or they throw it in a dumpster out back of a nursing home. And all of our money and all of our time and all of our effort is spent on physical possession or gain. Well, yet people are hurting and the answer is our testimony. But the problem with our testimony is this. 
we don't understand that you're valuable. Most of our lives, and even as leaders, we look to see what people can do for us. Rather than a good leader who will say, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I better you? Did you know that's true Christianity? When Jesus Christ walked this world and people tried to put things on him, guess what? He wouldn't accept those things, but he rendered those things back. Why did he wash the disciples' feet? Why was he providing food to the hungry? Why was he meeting these people's need as he was showing them that he valued them? The world devalues, but Christ values. How do I say that? The world devalues. Let's talk about human life for a minute. If you want to know about human life, let's talk to Renee and John Davison. Who saved a baby from the death of abortion. Who continues to play advocate to those people who are going in misled and misguided. Trying to save the life that the world deems as non-valuable. And it's okay to have abortion. It's okay to kill your children. It's okay to take a, a, a pill after making a decision. It's okay Because it's accepted in the norm. But what you don't know is, on the backside of that, they're going to someone trying to kill themselves. They're going to someone broken down spiritually and emotionally. And they're crying for help. And no one hears their cries. Does anybody hear them? In the shadow of the steeples across America, people are crying for help. And we, with the answer, sit idly by. There's no corporate way of reaching. There's no individual desire to reach. Will that be the story of our lives? Would to God we would understand the value. How much does Jesus value you? He gave his life for you. Turn over to the book of Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 11. Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 11 tonight, church. We see a future event that will happen, but I love this. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 11. We heard just a couple of them tonight, but the Bible says this. And they overcame him. Who's him? That old devil in the verses before. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Oh, I love Brother David Martin. See, I saw Brother David Martin on deputation with his parents when they would go from place to place and he would be the kid the same age as me when he went to the church. I appreciate his desire and his drive to go to a place where he was called to and be dedicated to that. I love his precious wife. That little boy of theirs is just a mess. I can't wait for him and Thaddeus to get together and go to Bible college together. And I can't wait for Thaddeus to marry their little girl. Amen? Sorry, brother. Welcome to family. But with that being said, I love him. When Brother David decided to go to Argentina, do you think he considered that he might possibly die on that field? Did his precious wife ever think at night, will I die here away from my family? What will I subject my children to? Boy, I love the fawfulness. Brother Penny's my boy. He can do, do these jump ropes like crazy, and he's an old man. 
I love Miss Robin. I wonder if Miss Robin ever considered her life. I wonder if Brother and Mrs. Martin, with the things that's happened in their testimony, ever said, my life might be too valuable. And yet, we who are able-bodied, we who have the potential to reach people, sit comfortable in our chairs, go on our vacations, spend our time doing what we want, while others answer a call that was meant for us. See, we take our kids to football games. We take our kids to practices. We take our kids shopping. We take our kids to the park. But have we ever taken our kids to soul winning? Have we ever taken our kids to a food bank? Have we ever walked down Lancaster Street with our children and, and handed out things that were for a cold day and said, tell them you love them, Thaddeus. Go give them a hug and make their day and say, Jesus loves you. Are we not focused on the value of people? Can we not substitute ourselves on the behalf of another person? We see the value in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number 3, how God valued his people. You see, the devil is a lie. And if you know John chapter number 10 and verse number 10, the Bible says the devil cometh only but to kill, to steal, and to destroy, right? And that verse I read to you in Revelation talking about he overcame them. We see in the verses before that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's a liar and the devil is a lie. And can I tell you this morning, as, as some of you in here struggle with what you see in this mirror, I want to tell you this morning that the devil's a liar. You are special. You have something to give. Your life is not over. Yeah, you may have messed up. You may have made a wrong decision, but my God can forgive. My God can restore and give him a chance. I'm talking to someone tonight who's standing on the edge of the bridge and I'm not talking you down. I'm holding your hand and I'm saying, if you jump, I jump. That's how serious this matter is of getting the gospel to the world. Your life for mine. Because why? I value you. You may not have had a mom and dad that tucked you in at night. You may not have had somebody who said they loved you and kissed you on the head or bought nice dresses or bought nice clothes for you. Maybe you have been through some abuse. Maybe you have been divorced. Maybe you have had some substance abuse in your life. Did you know that that's okay? Paul killed Christians, but yet God still valued him. The devil's a lie. Stop looking at the counterfeit of the devil and realize the beauty and the glory is what God sees when he sees you. If you're saved, he sees a son. There's a song that says, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. When he looks at me, he sees the nail scarred hands. I don't know why the Lord allows us to be part of my ministry. I've asked him many a time to 
take it away. We went through the, the death of our son. And while we were going through the death of our son, we've been able to minister to many people who've lost their children to cancer or to accident. And through that, we tell them of Jesus who loved them and gave himself for them as well. And the pain is real. The pain doesn't go away. But my friend, that peace comes in. And I don't know why I get messages like this. Yesterday at 12 o'clock a.m. You're the only person that means something to me, boss man. I need your help. I have a drinking problem. I'm about to lose my family and my mind. Can you help me? When I got this message, I realized something. That Monday is not going to be a normal day of budgeting, scheduling, action reports from the weekend. Monday is going to be a day of ministry. Where I go in and I talk to this young man about a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved him and gave himself for him and me. As these things happen in my life. These same things happening in your life. The question is, is how do you respond when opportunities are given to you like this over and over and over again? Teenagers, you think it's an accident? Those that are in your snap, those of you in your IGs, those friends of yours who are around you that you are around them by accident or they're maybe you're popular and they like you. No, you're around them for a reason. And that's because Jesus has entrusted you to tell them about the faith that you have. And maybe this might be the only time that they will ever hear about Jesus Christ. And maybe what you don't know on the backside of your friendships, they're fake in front of you, just like a selfie. But on the backside, they're ready to give it up. They're ready to commit suicide. But you're the only one that's keeping them together. Workers, the people that we have encounters with each and every day, could it be said that we are there to be a place for them so that God does not have to judge them? but they can find a way of escape because we value people. Back in Philemon here with me, right before the book. Philemon is one of the most amazing letters Paul has ever written. This is the shortest of what Paul's letters are, and I'll give you a quick synopsis on the book really fast. And the reason why this is amazing, Philemon is like that really good romantic movie. I don't know, I cry in romantic movies. How many of you men in here cry in romantic movies? When Old Yeller died, I still cry to this day. Where the red fern grows, my heart breaks. If you've never seen that, boy, it'll, it'll touch you, amen? When, when in the Lone Ranger, when, when Tonto went down, boy, my heart just, it's bad news, man. So let me tell you, this book is just like that, the book of Philemon for me. Why? Because we see a man named Paul value somebody and he steps in. Did you know that in the letter that Paul writes here, this is the only letter that Paul writes in the New Testament where he does not mention death of Christ on the cross, does not mention anything about Christ's work on the cross, does not have to do with anything but salvation. He writes a letter. Want to know why? Because Paul is putting himself in as a substitute 
to this Onesimus that's here. Here we see Philemon, who is in Colossae, whenever Paul's going out on his missionary journeys here. He's writing this book from prison. And while in prison, he comes across this man named Onesimus. And Onesimus somehow did something wrong against Philemon. He was a slave owner. Uh, Philemon was, being Roman hierarchy here in Colossae. He had slaves, and we don't know what this slave did that was bad. But what we do know, it was bad, and he's in jail. Well, he comes and he gets saved while Paul is in jail. And not only does he get saved while he's in jail, he becomes one of the best workers for Paul while he is in jail. And while he's there, Paul writes a letter. And Paul writes this letter to Philemon and says, Philemon, I want you to forgive him and receive him like you would receive me. When you look at this man, don't see him for a prisoner, but see him as a brother. Because why? We have a mutual understanding and a partnership in the same thing called Jesus Christ. And he's begging him to accept him as a brother in Jesus Christ. Let's look at this book. The Bible says this in in this letter. Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and to Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and our beloved Ephipha and Archippus, our fellow soldiers, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he writes this prayer, he says this, I thank God making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Paul continues to write and he says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Why? Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might not be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee to that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I'd rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's about to now write in his letter why he's writing him after this greeting. Verse 10. He says, Philemon, I beseech thee. I beseech thee for my son. This man that I brought to Christ. This man who I'm now discipling. I'm beseeching you on behalf of Onesimus. Whom I've begotten in my bonds. Which in time past to thee Onesimus was unprofitable. But Onesimus, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I've said again, thou therefore receive him, that in my own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in my bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing that benefit, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in flesh and in the Lord. Onesimus, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Onesimus, if he's wronged thee or oweth thee aught, Put that on mine account. Jesus Christ tells us 
I value you because I gave my son's life for you. He died on the cross for us to show us this value. As I look through Christ's ministry and I see what he's done through the people. Remember when the lady came in with an alabaster box? And the fine ointment, she came before Jesus. And when she finally arrived at Jesus, she stooped down at his feet and she began to weep with tears. And and, and she was such a non-factor that the conversation kept going around. That was just a nobody. That was a nothing. But then all of a sudden, Jesus knew what was going on the whole time. And she cries and starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And she then breaks the ointment open and, and then begins to wash his feet with that ointment. And Jesus recognized recognizes her. Why? Because he's saying, I value you. Do you remember when Darius, a ruler, his daughter had died and he sent for Jesus and he said, Jesus, please come and, and my daughter will live. Will you, will you raise her again? Will you, will you do that for us, Lord? And, and Jesus comes at his beckoning and at his desire. He's saying, I'm coming because I value you. But while he's going, there was a woman who had an issue of blood. And for these many years, doctors could not heal her. And, and she just said, if I could just touch the, the hem of his garment, I'll be saved. And, and, and whenever he goes by, he touches the hem of his garment and he turns and says, he knew virtue went out of him. He said, who touched me? And he didn't do that because he did not know he touched, but he did it for her own recognition to say, hey, I recognize you. I see you. I know who you are. I know your position in life and you may be down, but I'm going to help you up. Why? Because I value you. I see the lepers. And do you remember leper colonies? Leper colonies had to stay away and they had to say unclean, unclean. They could not populate with people. But yet Jesus was willing to say, hey, I value you. And yea, even value them when they were unthankful. They leave away clean with no more leprosy. They go home to their families. And Jesus was willing to do that for them. The man at the pool And Jesus asked the question and he answered, he says, I have no man. And here in Lake Worth, Texas, there's many people who say, I have no man. On Friday nights, they say, I have no man. The woman beaten and battered inside of her bedroom, I have no man. The man at his wit's end because he doesn't have an answer for his family, an answer for himself. He says, I have no man. The college student struggling mentally and physically with the direction they go with their life. They say, I have no man. To put them in the pool. And Jesus Christ raises them up. Why? Because he valued. We see Paul learn these lessons. When on a road... He's confronted with the Lord God Almighty. And God looks down at Paul and says, Paul, I value you. And saves this evil man. Paul then meets this man Onesimus in prison. Becomes fellow laborers. Bonds together in salvation. And Paul sits in that prison under that candlelight. And he writes this letter to Philemon. When you see Onesimus, don't see him as a slave. Don't hold on his behalf the wrong that he did you. But when you see Onesimus, you see me. In Fort Worth, Texas today, will you be willing to stand in front of somebody to say, Hey, 
Don't look at them. You look at me. See me. And as you see me, you see Christ. Let me stand in the way. Let me help in the fellowship. Let me help with the hurt. See me. And then Paul kicks in a little bit of a favor here at the end of his letter. He writes in, oh, by the way, since you have such a nice house and all, will you save an Airbnb for me when I get out of prison? That's that deep Greek, like the koine, the, the theme key verse there. And so in that verse, but there was an Airbnb Paul asked for. He says, save me a room. You know how you help value people? First, you got to see their need. After you see their need, you need to remember where you were. And if you never were, then you need to remember what you could have without Jesus Christ. But even better than that, what's better than the fellowship of the brethren? When was the last time you invited somebody over to your house in this church and said, hey, let's have dinner together? Let's talk about Jesus together. Because you see, there's families that are struggling and they need encouragement and they need somebody to bond together with. And when they leave your house, they say, man, was that not good fellowship? Even if they do beat you in a card game. Even if the toast was burnt. Amen? When was the last time you fellowship with somebody to say, hey, I'm not just your Christian brother or your Christian sister or your Christian family, but I value you. Do you have a text group that you belong to that each morning you're sending a text out? Do you send an email out saying, hey, I'm with you today. See, we're quick on the negative news. We're we're quick on the slide. We're quick on saying how we've been excluded or we didn't know about something going on. But we're slow on, hey, I sure appreciate your service today. I sure appreciated the way that you sang today. Boy, it sure was great to see your grandkids in church today. You know what? We got great things going on during missions conference this week. Can I make some bologna sandwiches to bring to church? Because I, I know you get off of work at 645 and it's going to be a long day for you. Can, can I at least pack you a sack lunch? And you see, as you see others for not what they can give you, but what you can give them, then we understand something. Behold how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. We have a missions conference, and I close with this coming up. This missions conference is going to answer a question for us this week. And it's going to answer... How much do we value people? How much do you value people? I I remember we were in Bible college, me and mama was. And when you're in Bible college, you're not very wealthy. (laughs) And we were raising some children. The missions conference came around and we just had enough to pay our bills. And um, we said, what are we going to do? We prayed about it and the Lord didn't offer any other jobs. Um, I'm the type of man that'll work three, four, five jobs to support my family and to meet my family's needs. But there was just nothing that was happening during Bible college. And so we just said, we're going to give the most valuable thing that we have in our house. And that was our, our, our wedding rings. We didn't have food in the cabinet. We weren't on food stamps. We weren't in any government assistance. And I remember 
we were brokenhearted and we felt this big because we weren't able to do what everybody else we thought was doing, right? We, we, we put them in the offering and it goes away. And we're sitting here thinking, you know, how are we going to feed these kids? And as a father, that's one of your biggest fears. It's like you never want your kids to go hungry. You never want your family to suffer. And you're sitting here with this insecurity of what's going to happen. And we didn't tell nobody. I mean, nobody. We didn't whisper it. Nobody knew what was going on. But something happened on that Monday. I get off uh, from school. I go home. And wifey says, honey, you're not going to believe what happened today. There were groceries on our porch. There was Captain Crunch cereal. Hey, man, you can eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's groceries. Then we had a good preacher, Brother Mickey Hollers. He comes to the house and says, knucklehead, don't put your wedding rings in the offering plate. I know it came from you. Gave it back to me. Put it on our fingers. And God supplied our need. We learned something from that moment. What we felt. What we went through. We started watching for other people who we thought might have a need. And we'd take the kids and say, hey, let's go grocery shopping at the grocery store. Kids, y'all pick out some cereal. Go pick out some candy. And we'd put together some baskets and we'd go deliver. And we would drop off. I don't know what their reactions have been over the years. But I still remember what happened to me. Christians, have you forgot? the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Because when you remember, that will change a world and change a life and change somebody forever. But one thing has to happen. You've got to believe when you look in this mirror that you're not seeing this wretched sinner that you are, but you're seeing a righteous person that's been saved by the blood and you can say that I'm valuable through Jesus. I may not like what I'm seeing. I may not be beautiful. I may have impurities, imperfections. But you know what? God doesn't care about any of those things. Because God sees His Son when He sees me. How much did He love His Son? He loved His Son so much that He gave Himself for us. Not only did He do that, but put Him at the right hand of the throne of God. He sees you as His child. He sees you as His Son. He sees you as a joint heir. He sees you as redeemed. Stop believing the lie of the devil. Let's value people. Let's value each other. Let's reach this city for Christ. Let's reach this world for Christ. Let's surrender all we have to say, God, whatever it is, I'll go. I'll give. I'll do. God, show me your plan, your will for my life. For this missions conference and for this church as we go forward. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As the musicians come, I read to you this song. Could it be that up in heaven God is sitting on his throne Anticipating another sinner will soon become his home. 
years of wasted living and years of toil and strife are just about to be over as he receives the gift of life. Go sound the horn. A sinner is saved. Saved from the fire. No more in darkness. He's received my son. All heaven rejoices. That's the value of one. The Holy Spirit has been working to soften up a heart. All he needs is a willing servant to simply do his part. Can you imagine up in heaven the joy that will be that day as a sinner bows his head to pray? Can't you hear the Father say, Go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, safe from the fire. No more in darkness, he's received my son. Oh, heaven rejoices. That's the value of one. Start construction on the mansion there on Hallelujah Street. He doesn't know yet what is waiting when his Savior he will meet. February 14th, I met my Savior. I met my Lord. And tomorrow, I get to tell somebody about that. I get to relive that moment. I get to act it out. And hopefully, they'll be able to share in the rejoicing with me. Church, are we committed? Church, can we do this together? Church, can we block the lie of the devil? And can we just reach one more soul? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit of God, this has been your message. I've said all that I know to say. My heart is just burdened. Burdened for the folks in this room. Burden for the people I work with, for the strangers I drive by every day. Help me, Lord, to share my testimony. Help me, Lord, to value people. Open my eyes, Lord, that I can see. Open my ears that I'll be able to hear. And keep my body strong for the work. Give us a desire, Lord. Help us to block the lies of the devil, the stronghold of sin and of the flesh, and help us live for others, dear God, and not in this illusion. Would you work in your invitation tonight? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, as the musicians play, we'll not tarry the invitation tonight. If you need to do business with God, the altar is open. But he needs somebody to say, I'll go. He needs somebody to say, I'll give. He needs somebody to say, I'll stay. He just needs somebody. Will it be you? Can you commit to him tonight and say, God, it'll be me. Tell me what I need to do. The principle of reaping and sowing. Will you be a sower? Will you be a reaper? Will you be a laborer? Do your business with God as the musicians play.
a song tonight to close out our invitation. And if you know it, would you sing it with me? I don't know all the words by heart. My mind's a little raggedy with it. But it's called, Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Would you all sing that with me tonight as we close out our service? And, and what a pleasure it is to serve God. And what a great joy of knowing that when we die, we go to heaven. There's somebody who needs you this week. Somebody that needs you tonight. Would you, would you value them? Would you value each other? If you have your husband or wife here with you tonight, would you hold their hand? Kids, if your mom or dad is in church tonight on your way home, will you tell your mom and dad, hey, I, I love you? Would you give them a hug around their neck? Find someone in here who's a widow. Find someone in here who's alone. And before you head out of these doors, say, it sure is good to see you. I value you. I love you. That's the love of the brethren. That's the church. And we have that because Jesus Christ saved our soul. So, Brother John, can we sing that to our invitation to close it, sir? Thank you, back because she has those in her room and so no I'm teasing Uh, thank you brother John well if you'll turn over to 533 we'll sing our course for the month until the whole world knows you can stand it's okay till the whole world knows